strange attraction, mass psychology, synchronicities, and occulted realities. Welcome to the Friday Farcast with Robert Phoenix. Hey, what's happening? It's me, Robert Phoenix, and you know what day it is. It is Friday, and this is when we do the Friday Farcast. We stream live on YouTube, and it happens to be the first Friday of the month, which means that uh, we'll be joined by the Krimis here shortly. They're actually right there. You can probably see their uh, lovely graphic, which um, stands in for the video stream. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna get into the speech last night. We're also gonna clean up some other unfinished business around pa- Paulo Freire and uh, James Lindsay's last interpretation of his work, which moves into the realm of religion and the church. Which I think at some point we'll be able to make a segue to whatever that thing was last night. Uh, before we bring the Krimis on, what I want to do is I do want to give a shout out to our sponsor of the show. And for those of you who watch 15 Minutes of Flame, Monday through Thursday, that's 15 Minutes of Flame. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. And I, and I do talk about our sponsor also on the Sunday night show. And that is True Hemp Science. And uh, True Hemp Science is a business that's... Um, owned and operated by my good friend, Christopher Lynch. And uh, I've known Christopher since probably around 2014, 2015. And uh, he's got some of the best CBD that I've run across. And uh, ever since we decided to work together back in March, it's been an absolutely uh, fantastic experience. Tremendous results all the way around from the product to the service that goes along with the product. And um, I can't uh, speak highly enough about Chris's dedication to crafting some of the finest CBD for you and your pets. And I don't go a night without uh, his patented sleep. Well, they're not patented, but they should be. They should be. Uh, If you go to truehemscience.com, because I'm going to turn this into a uh, podcast, truehemscience.com backslash ref, backslash 23 and you get a hundred dollars of product or more chris will actually include free product for you one hundred dollars 150 dollars or more and you get free shipping so i didn't want to waste time with our friends the crimmies this is not a waste of time but i just wanted to make sure i got this right up front here at the beginning of the broadcast so true hemp science our sponsor of the show all right let's do it all the way from Asheville, North Carolina, we're going to uh, bring our friends, the Krimis, on. And let's see. Here we go. We got their we got their mic, and hopefully, we get their video here. Hi. They are. Hey. Hello, magic. Robert. It's pure magic. You yeah. got the red and the blue thing going on there. Was yeah. That, how about that? <laughs> was that? Was that? Was that a conscious choice there? No, just, no, no. I don't no, want I don't. to be associated with that. We don't. We don't check in with each other uh, with what we're wearing no. beforehand. But um, I would just uh, hello everybody. Hey, Robert. Hope you're doing well. Um, I was just going to add on to what you said about Chris. 
that um, he's got one product that I uh, that I actually like. It's called Moon Dust. The Moon Dust. And that's for like focus and for somebody like me who sometimes has trouble focusing on writing and things like that. I'm finding it useful. So I just wanted to throw that in there. And the gummy Chris. bears. And the gummy bears for for um, coming down off of writing all day. Right, right. The gummy, the, gummy, the gummy bears, I think they're an essential item. Like they're it just- appeals to the child in you. They're a go-to. Yeah, you get that little kind of sweet little thing. Right. You know, I don't think there's- Mm -hmm. Is there a little sugar on there? Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. there is. Yeah. So it's not yeah, the, yeah. I've been brushing the yes, sugar off is. lately because a little bit too yeah. much. It's a little little sugary, but uh, but the gummy bears themselves are effective. I've had, I think, the liquid uh, analog of the moon dust. So it's a good mm. product. Yeah, it mixes nice. It's, and it's a really interesting color. Um, I yeah. don't know where that blue actually comes from oh, since maybe. it's only it, the product, but, oh. but it must come out of the. It's the not product. like blue green algae is added or something no. like that. No, no. It's it's just, I'll it's have just, to ask Chris. I'll ask him where he he uh, sources the the moon dust. Not well, not the CBD, but the color. Uh -huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what's really interesting about speaking of blue? Um, there was a time when the Republicans were blue. Yes. The conservatives right. were blue. And mm -hmm. the Democrats were red. If you, and if you ever want to get a visceral picture of this, you can you can find the live broadcast of the uh, 1980 presidential election with Reagan and um, Jimmy Carter. And Reagan wins when Reagan wins the state. It's blue, right? It is so blue. Not that really. I, I thought it was further back, yeah, but really not, not that, that long ago. ago. Really. And within our lifetime, certainly. Within our lifetime. So somewhere along the way, they decided to huh. flip this thing. Mm. And now we're going to get to it. What happened last night, right, is the Biden side reclaimed the red. That's what they did. They more, yes. It just looked like satanic to me. Right. Well, that's part of it, but they're reclaiming the red. You think? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. we can get yeah, we can get into that because yeah, there's a you know, more than a few interesting things about that. Yeah, we'll um, spill. So I think we'll do the second hour uh, crawling through that swamp, that swamp water uh, that we saw last night. Um, in right. fact, I didn't really see. I don't like watching those things live. No, no, because because I feel like I'm there with all these other eyeballs and all these other circuits. And I'm adding to that moment, right? And so they're whatever my filter or intention is, they're siphoning it off, and I don't want that, right? Because so, it's certain, yeah, go ahead. So yeah. I just I usually watch it after the fact, right? Or, if we even watch it at all, but yes, because there certainly wasn't anybody there watching it. No, know? we were counting like how many people looked like they were in the crowd. It was like maybe sixty. Yeah, um, maybe maybe it's hard. It, it's the whole th we'll, we'll, we'll get into it yeah yeah good enough we'll, we'll, but ordinarily we'll i can't even listen to him speak because the frequency of his voice just sets my teeth on edge he was he was really hyped up last night mm -hmm. i don't know what they had him on mm -hmm. but he was hyped up because he usually can't go 30 minutes straight without making some kind of a glitch or a gaffe and with the exception of the odd cough that he seems to have persistently, yeah. Yeah. Um, he motored through that 25 minute stretch. Yeah. 
He was he was zipped up. So yeah, whatever they gave him, he yep. was he was flying. Um, the other thing I noticed about him, I looked at I looked at I actually got an image. I pulled an image, and it looks like his ears are different. Like again? the again, like the ears on this Biden are closer to the other ears. Like the lobes are not attached. So I have a I have a standalone picture. We'll blow it up and we'll take a look at it because because for the longest time those lobes were connected to the head, and now it seems like they're not. So we'll we'll go we'll go. Well, that could be an answer to why he was able to do it. Maybe I see. I mean, I think we're dealing with multiples. I mean, every Mm -hmm. president has multiples, but that's been going on for a while. Yeah. Um. So anyway, we'll we'll get into the Biden the Biden mess. Let's talk about what we were talking about the last time you were on the show, which was uh, a pretty deep dive into, there it is, the politics of education, Paolo Freire, uh, and the pedagogy of the oppressed, and James Lindsay's final chapter of, of the deep dive into Freire and uh, Henry Giroux, and a number of the other people that are and have been very instrumental in moving this ideology forward through the the three main pillars of our society, which James Lindsay talks about, government, education, and the third being religion. We're going to touch upon the religious part of it today and some very interesting developments that Lindsay uncovered. So why don't we, why don't we jump in here and, um, I'm just going to throw up a visual and I may refer, cause I, I just pulled this up. I may refer to part of this, uh, part of this recording at some point, but let's just throw up the visual here. This is w- where we've been drawing a lot of our insight from uh, James Lindsay's excellent mm-hmm. series on YouTube called new discourses. And uh, he's been, just incredible at going into these crawl spaces around this material and pulling it together. I don't think there's anybody on the planet that can do what he's doing. No. And it just rolls out of him. Like he owns the information. Yeah. And he's got, you know, you know, I am now we're we're talking, he's probably got like a hundred hours of videos, you know, on this, he's made himself impossible to keep up with really at this point. Um, but it's a great resource for anyone who wants to understand what's happening. I, you know, I was looking at the overlay on the picture the other day on mm-hmm. Paolo's face and trying to figure out what it is. So it looked like at the, just under his chin, that crossbar, there's a cross, like some kind of a cross in there. And also on his forehead. Yeah, almost like a Celtic cross or something and it couldn't make any sense of it. I was trying to figure out what the heck is that? Yeah, yeah. The, the bottom image almost looks like um, uh, something for video. You know, like there's a filter on oh. on uh, uh-huh. Zoom where okay. it's, it, it's almost like a test pattern kind of video. Right, right. Okay. So mm-hmm. I, a test pattern filter. I think that's what that is. Because it's hard to see because it's a little bit smaller than it would be ordinarily, but that one marker 
the yeah. bottom crossbar, the image just underneath it. Yeah. Diamond. Yeah. It looks, yeah. it looked to me like some kind of a cross and a, but yeah, it could I, be. A I think that's a, I think that's a video test pattern filter if I'm not huh. mistaken. Okay. Up here though, that's a different story. Yeah. Like yeah I'm thinking, you know, we used to have those sort of, you know, A-frame churches. Right. That were the kind of the modern church after they got rid of, you know, the stone and the marble. They started making these wooden A-frame churches. Right. right. In the 60s. Yeah. Yep. After so Vatican too. All right. So for people who are new to uh, this whole topic, Paulo Freire is uh, was a Brazilian and uh, kind of grew up. What would you say, like a middle class family? In Brazil, yes, he was at you know he was he was educated into the uh, into the oppressors, right? So he spent a lot of time Oppressor? looking around, okay. looking around uh, the disproportionate number of people that suffered from poverty, uh, the inability to to read, right? There was not a lot of literacy, mm-hmm. so he saw this as a significant gap between the haves and the have-nots and uh, as he went through his educational training which was partially religious right i mean you 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 can see this he was catholic right he was catholic Mm -hmm. and he and he makes references in his work which Lindsay talks about to the new easter that people have to experience which we'll get into right and he had a connection with um the Red Bishop, uh, Kamara. So he Kamara, knew him, Kamara, Kamara. So he knew him, who is who is maybe the, the foremost proponent of Marxism within the Catholic Church. And they called him the Red Bishop because right. he was communist. So yeah. that's where the appellation of Red comes in. Right, right, right. So I don't think we ever really made the connection explicitly. Maybe we kind of talked about it the last time that you were on the show. Uh, but also the connection between Freire and liberation theology. Oh, big time. Yeah. yeah. And liberation theology as a, an arm of the Catholic church, which is, which is weaponized as something to be employed as part of the class struggle. Right. Right. So mm-hmm. Freire comes from that world. So he comes from a world where he's indoctrinated into Catholicism and the machinations of Catholicism. But then he gets his leftist Marxist training along the way, and he literally becomes a fusion of these two worlds. This is what happens, Yeah. right? And let's expand it out and look at what's going on in the rest of the world and the church at that time. This is in the, well, he comes to America in the 80s, but in the 60s, Remember, we did that whole story on Windswept House, the book that uh, Father Malachi Martin wrote. Right. That talks about the Vatican and the infiltration of the Marxists into the Catholic Church. And their their end game was to dethrone the Pope and spread out all of that power amongst the bishops. And then it becomes, then they come and it's, they it's the people's church. Then it's the people's church, not the Church of Christ. So right. you brought it out of the realms of the divine and brought it into the mundane and demoted it. 
And so all of that is swirling around when this man is also doing his work in South America. So the last time you were here, what we got into was Freire's ideas that were transposed into the educational system. And just to quickly go over those things and recount those things, some of the main pieces have to do with literacy. And that literacy based on the Freirian system is not the same literacy that we grew up with, right? We grew up with things like phonics, learning how to do things on our own, you know, that there was a, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. um, there, you know, if you did well, there were hierarchies, you were rewarded for, you know, your intelligence, whatever, whatever standards we had at a certain point in time. And in the Freire world, all of those things are wiped out and frowned upon because they don't want individuals. What they want is they want people to identify with the oppressed. So when they do something like um, inside the school system, like teach somebody to read, we, when we talked about this before, instead of spelling out the word uh, bus, Right. They would have a picture of Rosa Parks on a bus. Right. Right. It has to be in service to their theology, their Marxist theology. Whatever you're learning has to have a context mm -hmm. to the church of the oppressed. That's it's what secondary. That's right. It's secondary. That's right. So that when you begin to think and you have these reference points in your, your in your mind, when somebody says bus or when you see a bus, what happens? You, you have this picture of this woman in the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there are all these different anchors for how people learn, basically. I mean, through reading, through word association, through imagery, and through historical context, because that's going to play a pretty big role here when we talk about. Sure. When I was a kid, we had uh, Dick and Jane see Jane run, you know. And it was two children playing. Right. And this is very different. So this, this is, this is and, and now, again, just to get people up to speed um, who didn't see the last episode, which I'll leave a link to, by the way, in the show notes. Good. So you, you can go back and that watch this. Um, the other thing is the, the, the rebranding of the hierarchy inside of the classroom. So a student is no longer a student. Right. They are they are a learner, and that a teacher is no longer a teacher, but they're an educator. And in the Freirian model, everything is horizontal. Right. So the student and the and the learner and the educator are on, are on the same level, right? Yeah. Just to throw this in for a second, because last Friday you um, talked with Russ Winter about the the, the Milgram experiment. Yeah. Notice that the person supposedly receiving the shocks was called a learner. Yes. Did yes. You pick up on that? I did pick up on that. Marxist you know, language in that. Interesting. I, and you know, what's interesting is I actually thought that Russ had written that. I'm like, oh, well, Russ is hip on the language. Right. Mm -hmm. But then I went back in and there was, I mean, it was, it was in the context of what Milgram was talking about the learner. Right. It was already there. Right. And that and so that marks really does map on to this 
another aspect because it's around the same time. Um, that's, I don't know what it was at, early 60s, whatever. And uh, one of the things that you didn't mention was that they found a box of tapes in the basement that proved that it was, the whole thing was fake. Uh, they, had, they found a box of tapes of them coaching, you know, the, the people right. that supposedly pushed the buttons. Um, but, you know, be that as it may, we can see that language in the university system in uh, the Stanford, I guess, I can't remember now, um, you know, that that language was already infiltrated in there, you know, uh, as far as all that goes. And it was the it was language guiding that experiment. And again, that experiment is to cast this sort of a dark um, aspersion onto humanity and, and, and what a human is. Mm -hmm. You know, right. So I think it's connected in there. That's why I, I think it is, too. I think I, I think it is, too. So when we connect those dots, we're looking at something that's deep and baked in and has been being rolled out for a very long time, and which I've looked, I've looked at before. You go back and look at the 100 year march, right, which literally starts in 1920 and it goes up to 2020. And it's like, you wow, 100-year march. Everything in 1920 is nuts when it comes to the uh, formation of communism and the like worldwide parties. Yeah. yeah. So Pivotal. this stuff is baked in. It's totally baked in. It is. And, they, and, and they've been working on it for a very long time. Another thing I'd like to just bring up again uh, in regard to the relationship of the student and the teacher is that whole, um, he called it um, educate the Easter education for the Easter thing. Anyway, resurrection, anyway, he's got this whole thing where you have to die to be reborn. So right. the teacher has to die from who he is as a teacher, his role, right, and be reborn as an equal to the student. And the student likewise has to die as a submissive to the teacher and be reborn as the teacher's equal right which now you've got all this happy horse shit about you know everybody's equal the, the student is equal to the teacher you can't tell me anything and Five but it's this, their whole easter resurrection overlay that that he brought in that really is a religion into the school i think that, that you bring up a really uh, important point around that the religious component that comes out of the Freerian inversion of Catholicism and exactly what it is the resurrection, right? The crucifixion and the resurrection. And they're blatant about it. It's right up front. They call it the Easter resurrection, whatever. They are they, they are they are blatant about it. And we're seeing it now where we have these teachers who we talked about this last time, who talk about openly, they talk about their gender um they talk about their partners uh, it's mm -hmm. like and and that With is students, right. right and that is not something that is some kind of personal liberation trip right that is baked into the model that's exactly right, right, right. like they are instructed to do that right because one of the things that frieri uh, brings up over and over again is he criticizes the um, the previous education system and the church because the church for him is another education system um, as be as claiming to be neutral. Now I don't again this is um, 
this is I'll tell you what they think and then I'll criticize it because, you know, I don't quite recall the Catholic Church ever considering itself neutral in any way whatsoever. Right. Or the education system. So but but the reason that he continuously criticizes because he says, well, you can't be neutral. And that gives them the green light to, you know, to project Marxism on every subject. You know, well, it's not neutral because we're always teaching Marxism. It doesn't matter what subject it is. We're teaching Marxism. You know, we're right. teaching we're teaching liberation theology. It doesn't matter what the subject is. So they so they'll they'll accuse the Catholic Church of claiming to be to be um, separate and and and, and uh, not doing that. But meanwhile, you know, uh, or, or the, the current uh, word now is grooming, of course, and um Apparently, James Lindsay got into trouble for using that word. Well, he got kicked off of uh, Twitter. Right. Oh, a lifetime, really? lifetime ban on Twitter. For using, lifetime. Right, right. And it is all and it is all grooming. And, you know, and there is a point to, you know, we got groomed in certain ways in our education, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know? So one of the other things, uh, and I think this dovetails with education and religion and the youth, is that in the Friarian model, they do not believe in innocence, mm. right? They want to eradicate this idea of yes. innocence very quickly because, mm -hmm. because in that world, uh, innocence is connected to naivete and privilege, right? Mm. It's like, no, you have to right. bring these be young beings as quickly into the world of the oppressed as possible so that they don't have any kind of cultural bias and we have to work harder at breaking them down early later in life so they do a they, good job right yeah right. so so they have they have a specific strategy to eradicate innocence as quickly as possible right. we're seeing and it we're seeing it yeah and Freire calls it naivete and um, I wrote it down somewhere. Um, the two is like there's like two, the two possibilities of naivete and um, stuff with an S. Well, frig. Um, well, maybe I have it in a note somewhere. Maybe I can find it. But the, the point being that um, you have you have you you either are naive and you you're you don't know what's going on. You know you don't your naive your naive naivete is that you are naive of the Marxist reality, right? right. Your of the of everything falls under the oppressor oppressed model. That's right. Right. Then there's a second one where you're. It's like we're like scheming or something like that, right? It starts with an S, and that's where you understand the Marxist reality, oppressor oppressed, but you side with the oppressors because it's more lucrative or or, or whatever, right? But this is typical. Of, of, of Marxism and Freire, but there is no other way out. You know, Marxism is the only ideology. It's the only reality, you know, and this, go, this will lead us back when we get into Gnosticism. Um, you know, Marxism is the only reality. So there's only two choices. It's either you're a full-blown Marxist, free actually. You're a full-blown Marxist. You're either you're naive of Marxism or you are, you know, you are, you are siding with the oppressors. Right. You know, so in other words, it, it's a it's a closed system. Right. And, and and there is no critique of it. It can only critique you. Right. You know? 
So that's right. another thing that's baked into the cake. I'm sorry, I don't remember though, but it's it's um it means it's either got like ten pages of notes. We spent the whole work, the whole week. <laughs> we have, we have too many. We have too many notes to find anything. Right. You need a tell. You need a teleprompter. That's what you need. One of those. I, that's oh. right. That's one right. One of those invisible. Some... One of those clear teleprompters. That That'd be nice. So so works so well for Biden. It's um, noticed. Yeah. So yeah, that's an important part that there is no. All true. Shrewd is the word. There, that at the same time. You guys nailed it at the same time. Shrewd versus naive. So that was a big thing about Friari's uh, okay. critique. Bravo. Shrewd. So either so, you're shrewd and you know what's going shrewd, on. You're shrewd, so like you're pretending to go along with Marxism, but you're really being shrewd to protect yourself from their right. onslaughts. So you're hiding it. You're being shrewd. Right. You're not really on board with the program. You're just telling us what we want to hear so that we don't torture you anymore. Which is kind of like the institutional government right now. And, and that's their way of you know, approaching. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I feel like that that shrewdness is part of the program. Like they're being shrewd. They're not. Well, they are. Yeah, they are. But they're they're, not... Well, it's what he calls the iron law of willpower projection james Lindsay calls it right it's an iron law that they will project onto you what they're doing right right so he yeah. uses he uses that phrase quite frequently it's and he'll point out see that that's their iron law of will of will projection which is i think what we saw last night yes yes oh in, writ large in yeah we in all four suits not just spades writ yeah large yeah, 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 yeah. So, so let's get into. Uh, we, I think we've covered the educational part. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, but yeah. I think that those are the touch points that we, right? You know, the formation of learning and everything that you learn has to do within the context of the oppressor and the oppressed. It's in service to. Right. It's doctor. in service exactly, and everything you learn has to be in service of the dogma, which I think is a great, great right. phrase. And in religious terms, that split into oppressor oppressed is the fall from Eden. Right, right. So why don't we get into this whole thing with, uh, with the religious component, the third leg mm. to, to Freire's uh, infiltration. Right. And this is a really big one. Right, right. So you probably look, so you know, he, he spent time at the world council of churches he he was he was at that's right he was invited to join them yes, right with and um, it was a big deal with uh with with the red bishop Kamara was also there Kamara, Kamara. I, I, I want to i want to hook it in with kamala um i always think of you know which actually the um this is as an aside the the uh the friends of ours um who married us who are both lutheran ministers from germany that we that we flew over we actually i actually met them when they were at the world council of churches in geneva and, right um went over there i don't know did i say that last week i can't remember I don't think so. but anyway they um so i got the the, the most memorable the thing I, I remembered besides the fact that it was you know swiss and beautiful uh the place the campus um was that they had a life-size chess set yeah i think we talked about uh, that yeah huh. but um anyway okay. so i just 
just saying that I, I was there briefly and that would have been 1983. And we were also, when we visited them with Thomas and Christina in Germany, we went, they took us to see the Enlightenment Gardens. Right. Remember? Right, the Enlightenment Gardens. And the Enlightenment plays in, and the Enlightenment plays into a lot of this when we get into with the logic and reason, Gnosticism and all that. So anyway, so, so yeah, so he was at the, you know, so again, this is this governing body as a pre, uh, the, not governing, but the World Council of Churches, which, you know, seems to be um, something that's looking towards, towards moving towards a one world religion of some kind, you know, um, and on the surface, there are people there just going there, you know, dialogue between different faiths, etc. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think there's an overall mission. And then, of course, the important thing was uh, Frieri's mentor, Kamara, being Kamara, being uh, invited by Klaus Schwab to, to give a speech at the uh, World Economic Forum. Very early on. Early on that uh, Schwab says was, you know, this big risk he took. Because, because they had a policy not to invite communists in. Yeah, into, into, into yes, right? or, or even into- And he into was an avowed communist. Uh, Dom Kamara was an avowed communist and the Red Bishop, so they called him that because he was a communist. So according to Klaus Schwab, he really stuck his neck out to bring this man in and to give some kind of a talk believe it so that was so that was the import of the um of the of the uh, marxist virus into into the world economic forum right well then the yeah, world economic forum invites another person which is going to be an important figure as we kind of cl climb down this rabbit hole here and that's rick warren yes yes Yes. Okay. And, and I don't know a lot about Rick Warren to go. Rick Warren wrote a book called uh, A Purpose Driven or Purpose Filled Life. I forget which mm -hmm. one it is. And he um, is one of these modern evangelicals. And Warren essentially went to Klaus Schwab and said, if, if you don't get into the churches, you are going to fail. Mm -hmm. This is this is right in James Lindsay's recording, mm -hmm. and he references Warren at least a couple times in yes, that, amongst other modern evangelicals. Mm -hmm. So then, essentially, what happened, and I don't know when he actually went to Davos to talk to Klaus Schwab, but once that happened, they decided they were going to deploy these ideas into the Western evangelical tradition. So the ideals of the World Economic Forum and Frieri, who I think is very close to the WEF, not completely, but very, very close. So this guy essentially is a Judas. Yes. He's a Judas because he is taking these ideas, these Frierian ideas, the ideas of the World Economic Forum. And Lindsay makes a very clear distinction between an individual who has a relationship with God, right? God the Father, salvation through Christ, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. the Friarian model, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go into the weeds with this. The Friarian model 
is based on a form of Gnosticism, which has a very different relationship to this kind of I-thou, right? I-thou relationship. Right. right. So, so Warren is, is basically a faith, tra- he's a faith traitor, T-R-A-I-T-O-R. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about Warren, when you go into his, uh, his bio on, uh, on YouTube, I'm, I'm sorry, on uh, Wikipedia, the, uh, the very last, one of the very last lines here is one of the controversies, mm-hmm. um, which was, so I can find it. Uh, during the 2008 United States presidential election, Warren hosted the civil forum on the presidency at his church with both presidential candidates, John McCain and Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Obama later sparked controversy when he asked Warren to give the invocation at the presidential inauguration in January 2009. Mm. So that should give you an idea as to what Rick Warren is about. Rick Warren. Why, what was the controversy? Why is it controversial? Because you? Rick Warren at a certain point uh, during his time in California was anti prop eight and prop eight um, was the initiative to ban gay marriages. So he had a track record uh, of being a, a conservative, right? Um, so that was part of the controversy. So here we go. Um, that's not really there, but it's more in the uh, California part. So he, he had been given this label as being somebody who was intolerant, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know if that was really a part of his makeup, if he had to assuage his ministry and a lot of people in California was, I was there when that, when that proposition went to the ballot, a lot of people were not for the institutionalization of gay marriage. They weren't, in fact, it lost, they had a vote and it lost and it got overturned by a, by a judge. Oh, really? Yep. And they made a big, she said, innocently <laughs> they they made a big deal out of the fact that he was a libertarian judge but they left out the fact that he was also well he happened to be a gay libertarian judge so i mean come on you, you know and and if you weren't demoralized enough right if you weren't demoralized enough and and you have a vote and theoretically the vote speaks for the people and then you have one radicalized judge who has a vested interest in the outcome. Just flipped to this. What, what's and the matter? Accustomed to this and we're seeing more and more how important that the appointment of judges is. And secretaries so, of state. And, what, and one of the things that they used to justify that was that, well, all this out-of-state money came into California to you know, run, run the campaign and, and help defeat the, the initiative. Oh, the Mormons were involved. There's a lot of Mormon money that came. I mean, who, so what? Right? Out-of-state money happens in every election, and it doesn't matter yeah. what it is. Yeah. Right? You're going to get you're going to get people of a vested interest, some more than others. We have we have a we have someone running for a, a, a 
pretty much avowed communist running for our congressional seat that'll be vacated by um, Madison by by Madison Cawthorn. Really? She's running, you know, she's, she's running someone? against someone else now. Huh. And uh, her name is uh, Yasmin uh, Beach Ferrara. And she got something like $20 million from Soros. 20 million? She got a huge amount for a congressional for a congressional run. I may be wrong on the number. 20 million is a lot of money, man. She must several, be really it was, important. It was in the millions, yes. I mean, this is this is getting a communist right in the middle of you know Western North Carolina. Is that, know, what it is, that, is that how much it takes? Does it take $20 million to make I mean, that vote happen? Is that well, possible? yeah, well, to overwhelm. You know, and and you know, Asheville is going to vote. Well, you got to you got to pay people off too. That's 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 yeah. payoff money. And that's big payoff win. money. Yeah, and she's going to win because uh, you know she's already been. She already wrecked the city council. Then she wrecked the, the the county and made the county. Everyone else was unmasked, but yet the county that we're in, Buncombe County, stayed masked up. And she was one of the people behind that. And you know, so she's um, she they took down the. The obelisk in Asheville and all that crap. And was so she on. one of the? Was she one of the people that was on the city council? And I think I didn't. I send you a, like a like a picture or something, the JPEG, and I went through each and every one of them. Do you remember and that? She was. It wasn't that long ago, so it may have been. Yeah, I, I think anyway, I was being anyway, very. Scared. Anyway, they've got. She's someone they have plans for. Clearly. Um, so Rick Warren is the guy that's instrumental in bringing the Friarian vision to the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. And then the World Economic Forum then understands the importance of recruiting more Rick Warrens. So that they can so that they can have the third leg, which means that they're going to have all three of the legs, government, education, and religion. And when that's complete, then the doctrine of the oppressed is going is is the new religion, essentially. Right, right, right. The new religion, the new education, and the new government, all in one. Well, it is remarkable when you see that they actually just took the whole framework of the Catholic Church and, you know, flipped it over and made it into Marxist religion. They took all these tenets from the Catholic Church. And then just made it Marxist. Right. It's a religion. Right. And right. especially it, with the Easter resurrection principle. The Easter yeah. resurrection thing, which is critical to this whole Friarian belief. Right. And, and but when it comes to religion, it's just a notch and groove. It just fits mm -hmm. right into that. Mm -hmm. um, what was I going to say? There was something about the, the religious piece. Um, okay. Why don't we? Why don't we do this? Why don't, uh, why, don't, why don't I just fire up a little Lindsay here? Oh, good. Why don't I just do that? I don't even. I, I, I don't even. I don't even know where I'm going to land this thing. But why don't we just, you know, do a little? It's like a little John Cagey kind of thing, right? A little chance composition, right? Okay. And, you can leave, and be really John Cage and leave the volume off. <laughs> you know <laughs> no. why? I've done that before, but not intentionally. <laughs> Not on the purpose. Not on the purpose. No. All right. Let me bring him back up here. Let's bring, <laughs> let's bring Lindsay back up. And um, okay. and I'm just gonna. All right. I'm gonna move the slider, and you tell me when to stop the slider. 
Uh, which one are you on? Which podcast? It doesn't matter. Easy. You just got to tell me. Oh, I don't see it. So when I see you, it. you don't need to. You just got to oh, tell stop. me. Oh, oh, go, go. Stop. All right. I heard stop. It's at 129.29. Okay. Which talk is it? It's the one Fieri and the Marxist transformation of the church. Okay. All right. So this is uh, Chris's chance composition selection <laughs> of James Lindsay. And I, uh, what do you call it? Uh, All right, here we go. Let's see what we get. That's what he's going at. That's what his liberation theology is about. This is a blatant heresy against Christianity, where the relationship is each individual with God, according to the terms that God has set and the free will of human, if you're not a Calvinist, has decided that you can uh, that you can choose or not choose. That's the theology. That's the deal. This is something different. You must subsume yourself to the class, which will be the the mediator of salvation. In other words, the classes or the or the state, depending on which way you want to frame it, is the thing that will uh, self sacrifice to end human self estrangement, and thus create liberation and emancipation, or salvation, if you will. So this rounds out his big point about what a theology of liberation is about then. That's this section. It means siding with the oppressed and adopting a revolutionary commitment so that you become class-oriented with an understanding that the class in the end is going to destroy and denounce itself, a self-sacrificial um, you, but not you specifically. You as in the you that's part of the we is going to be the Christ that's going to have to die and be resurrected. And you do that by personally dying and being resurrected on the side of the oppressed, which is to say, thinking of yourself in terms of that class thinking. Does that make sense? You die as an individual, you're reborn as part of a class with class consciousness. And then that in the end, that because the dialectic will progress, it spirals up, it spirals down, that class will sacrifice itself and then we'll have true liberation. So the individual sacrifices itself to the class and then the class sacrifices itself to liberation. That's how it's laid out. That's a theology of liberation. That's a heresy. Woke can't come into your church, guys. And if you're a pastor, everybody who starts thinking this way has adopted a evil heresy and is going to hell. So you might want to work on making sure that doesn't happen and saving these people who are not just lost, they've been stolen, they're deceived with a D, with a capital D, I should say. So in light of the fact that uh, Ferry was probably just writing this during or after his appointment in the World Council of Churches, uh, let's take one further look uh, at this section to, for amusement's sake to kind of understand what we're dealing with. He says, existence is not despair but risk. If I don't exist dangerously, I cannot be. But if my existence is historical, the existential risk is not a simple abstract category. It is also historical. That uh, means, sorry. That means that to exist is first and foremost to risk oneself, though the form and effectiveness of risk will vary from person to person and from place to place. And here's why it's funny to, to read this, because remember, he's doing this to the World Council of Churches. I do not assume risk in Brazil, as the Swiss assumes it in Geneva, even if we were, are both of one political mind. Our socio-historical reality will condition the form our risk will take. To seek to universalize the form and content of existential risk is an idealistic illusion unacceptable to anyone who thinks dialectically. And so now he's talked about the theology, and now he's going to talk about the role of the churches 
which is going to be super communist. So, um, Fury finishes that section with his clear view into the demands of the Marxist dialectical faith. He says dialectical thinking constitutes one of the major challenges to those who follow the option we're talking about here. It is not always easy, even for those who identify with the people, to overcome a petite bourgeois education that is individualistic and intellectual, dichotomizing theory and practice, the transcendent and the mundane, intellectual work and manual work. This trademark shows up constantly in attitudes and behavior patterns which in which the dominated classes become mere objects of their impatient revolutionism. That's what he says. So what he's saying is that you've been probably brought up in a petite bourgeois education system that is individualistic and intellectual. And what does that do? Well, it dichotomizes theory and practice. So the theoretical idea and practical idea that Hegel said constitute the two forms of the uh, now self-estranged absolute, the deity that forgot it's a deity until they're brought back together, theory and practice have to be brought back together. And that's praxis, um, which is reflective and adapts itself through continual revolution that and Marx, but it also has a dichotomy, a separation of the transcendent and the mundane. So here we see the hermetic alchemy entirely. So the idea is that we live here in the mundane world, and maybe the spiritual influences have something to do with what happens here on the earth, but the spiritual realm is kind of completely separate. The transcendent realm where heaven, where God is, is not of this world. That's what Jesus said. My kingdom is not of this world. That's what he tells Pilate, right, in the gospel before they kill him. My kingdom is not of this world, the transcendent and the mundane. But in the hermetic religion, the transcendent or the divine is contained within the mundane. And the goal is to use some kind of an alchemical process or criticism, if it's this social theory, to break open the mundane world and free the divine so that it can gather or recollect back together and recollect or remember what it is, which is divine. It's going to separate intellectual work and manual work. Okay, so this is what he's saying, and he picks up by outlining the role of the church in a way that's very similar to what the World Economic Forum said in 2015 and 16 when it anticipated winning everything. It said, quote, in trying now to analyze more deeply the role of the church, especially its educational role, remember he thinks of it as a big school, we must return to some of the points made above, first of all, to the fact that it cannot be politically neutral. So what he's saying is that the church is inherently political, just like education. So there's only a church between being evil or being Marxist. This is your typical Manichaean Gnosticism that's kind of inside of this witch's brew of Gnosticism and Hermeticism that Hegel and Marx and Rousseau and these characters kind of formulated in the relevant uh, century, 1760 to 1860 or thereabouts in Europe. He says it cannot avoid making a choice. It can't be neutral, so it cannot avoid making a choice. It is the church, and therefore we in turn cannot discuss the church's role abstractly or metaphysically. So in other words, the only way to understand the church is, quote, concretely. That's a Marxist term or a, you know, a Hegelian term. So the only way you can understand the church is through a Marxist analysis of power and its effects. This is where when we do a critique of something, we no longer think of it on the regular terms. We import the structural uh, power-based concrete analysis of Marxism. So the church, in fact, cannot even be understood theologically, according to Freire. Theology itself, it's abstract and metaphysical. So here's where we see, for example, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Presbyterian Church of America, and so on. Here's where we see their push to reinterpret scripture and the gospel, the gospel coalition, for example, has been doing this for a while, and theology itself through a pedagogy of the oppressed. This is why we see Tim Keller, for example, writing the foreword to a book about the critical theory of the Bible, 
that's just recently come out. It's choice, the church's choice. Remember, it has to make a choice because it can't be neutral. This is Freire again. Its choice will condition its whole approach to education, its concepts, objectives, methods, processes, and all of its auxiliary effects. And so now we're going to talk about the seminaries. It is, he says, this conditioning affects the theological training of the leadership of the militant church as well as the education dispensed by the church. Even theological education and reflection are touched. And that's why your seminaries have to use the pedagogy of the oppressed to reinterpret scripture, the gospel, and theology so that they're in line with the so-called concrete Marxist analysis or the Marxist analysis of so-called concrete conditions that people must be conscientized or brainwashed to see. See, the values have to be transvaluated, just like Marcuse said, so that they will be die, so that you will die to your elitism and individualism and be reborn on the side of the oppressed through the personal experience of Easter. So you have to be brainwashed. And it'll be done generatively, of course. So while you have certain people, many of whose names I've mentioned, and I'll come back to them, I'm sure, who are bringing this into the church, into the seminaries for this reason, because even theological education and reflection are touched. What are they going to do? How do they make the move? Well, the goal is to bring a little bit of um, Marxist uh, oppression perspective in, because once you get the oppression perspective started, it will basically spiral out of control and take over everything. And the method that Freire uses is the generative themes method. You tool your lesson in terms of a generative theme that will generate emotional responses by picking at people's so-called concrete structural conditions, by finding the things that make them miserable, that they think are unfair, that there's a point of grievance and a scab to pick, and then picking it and using different things from the relevant educational material to do that. If it's reading, for example, maybe you're going to have them read about, I don't know, you know, the mistreatment of Native Americans or something, or you're going to have them read Howard Zinn's take on Christopher Columbus, or if it's, um, that would be more of history, I guess. If it was in mathematics, you're going to have them analyze statistics to do with, with race and poverty or something like this to generate the conversation. Maybe you're going to, as the Drag Queen Story Hour paper indicates, Drag Pedagogy is the title of that paper. You can look it up. That you're going to bring a drag queen in to generate questions about why men might dress as women and whether we have to dress as certain ways or whatever, or why we can't gender bend or gender queer or in the parlance, this is a real term, go type it into your search and then find out, gender fucking, they call it, because you're fucking with gender. That's their words, not mine. These are all generative things. They're there to raise the question, to start the dialogue, and to force the dialogue to take place on critical consciousness terms, to conscientize. Freire doesn't stutter throughout this book. We've read the whole book. I'm not going to do it again. So what does it look like in church? Well, maybe they'll say that David raped Bathsheba. Maybe they'll say Jesus died to emancipate people from racism specifically. Maybe they'll say Jesus was a dialectical figure of history, a transformative figure. Maybe they won't say those things, but we know that they have said those things. Uh, and they'll say maybe those things aren't true, but we need to have the conversation. And a matter of fact, we don't need to just have the conversation. We need to have that conversation. So not because it might be true or false. Remember, Michel Foucault said that whether things are true or false doesn't matter. Freire said that the lessons are, in fact, not knowledge, but a mediator to political knowledge. Okay, so the point isn't to have the conversation about whether David raped Bathsheba so that you can conclude exegetically or whatever that that's the way that that event should be understood. What you need to do is you need to come to learn to understand it from the perspective of people who might read it that way. 
people who might feel that way when they read it. You need to understand their feelings. You need to understand why somebody might see it that way. You need to understand it from the perspective of the oppressed, from the standpoint of the oppressed, from the standpoint of the people. If it moves your heart and you convert to their heresy, that's great. There's an Easter waiting for you. It must be existentially experienced. Then you'll know that the church has a fake Easter. You can die. Why don't we stop there? Rick yeah, Warren. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, let me name him again. Oh. Rick Warren. You know, the Purpose Driven Life Rick Warren? That Rick Warren. Pastor Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. That guy. Not some other guy with the same name. That guy went to many Davos meetings and sold out the churches uh, to them for this uh, three-legged stool public-private faith message. And here's what, what a white paper that in 2016... When the World Economic Forum was pretty certain for various reasons, namely Hillary Clinton and other political uh, people who actually did win, that they expected to win, um, were, you know, facing election. They, they thought they were going to win everything and they were going to be able to move their plan forward. So they put out a lot of white papers that are very telling in 2016. And another episode we've talked about, and I will go over soon in yet another episode of the podcast, one about um, social and emotional learning. But in 2016, they put out a long white paper about the role of faith. And that's where uh, Klaus Schwab is directly uh, quoted there saying, as a matter of fact, directly quoted saying that uh, values cannot be justified by the intellectual process alone. Faith must be involved. That's mm -hmm. what he said. So here's, here's what this white paper says in its introduction. Mm -hmm. uh, the World Economic Forum recognizes that faith plays a dynamic and evolving role in our society. Demographic trends suggest the number of faith adherents will increase over the next two decades while the secular population will decrease. People of faith, therefore, have profound impacts on community mobilizing, <laughs> sounds like something Barack Obama would do, for both productive and damaging purposes. The power of faith to impact global issues and shape global perspectives is a fundamental reason why the forum consistently engages faith leaders and perspectives in our work. As a part of our efforts to incorporate an understanding of the impact of faith in our analysis of complex global trends and challenges, the Forum established the Global Agenda Council on the Role of Faith. Council members comprise the world's foremost experts to provide thought leadership that furthers the faith agenda within Forum's activities. Okay, so essentially um, what James Lindsay laid out are a lot of the things that we talked about with a, a few more details. And then we got the backstory with Rick Warren. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, although I don't have the roster in front of me, you know, they have the, 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 uh, the young global leaders who some of, some of whom aren't very young, but um, I'm assuming they have a version of that for churches too. Right. Or, or, or they're in the same, because it's huge, the list. Maybe I've gone through that list and a lot of the people that I've not the entirety of, but I went through a lot of it. And a lot of them are either from government finance, technology, or some kind of an NGO or foundation. And maybe they're in there somewhere that I just missed them. Or maybe the world council of churches has that list. Or, yeah. So clearly you can see that there is a ma massive infiltration and push to standardize these ideas mm -hmm. across the board. Mm -hmm. Which started in 1985 with 
Freire and Garo bringing those professors into the university system and making sure that they got tenured. Right. So there were, I first heard 100, and then later I was listening to Mike, uh, James Lindsay, and he was saying hundreds, plural, so I don't know, wouldn't make sense. Um, but if you wonder how did the education system get so sullied, that was a real marker, 1985. Right. Yeah. And then if, after they got into the university level, then you've got all those educators teaching new educators coming in. So that's right. Teacher training programs are going to be fed this information. And now look what we've got. It's blossomed out into a really nice candida infection. Yeah. And remember, Freire gets kicked out of Brazil, goes to Bolivia, right. gets kicked out of Bolivia a week later, gets kicked out of, then, then I think he goes Chile. to Colombia or Chile. Ends After that, Chile. ends up in Chile. But who's there to take him? Harvard, of course. Yeah, Harvard brought him in after that. Right. So I want to I want to get to that to the Gnostic and Manichaean part. Yeah. Because Steve, you've got some uh insight and background in this subject. But before we do that, I just want to like drop into Paolo Freire's mind for a minute. Mm -hmm. So this is a guy who thought through all of these things. Mm -hmm. Right. He thought through all of these things and created a system, right? What, what do you think was driving him? This is the thing that I'm curious about because not only does he come out with a comprehensive system, but it's so comprehensive that all these other people want to adopt it and bring it into these various foundations. What, what do you think is driving somebody like Fieri? For one thing, he speaks words that sound like wisdom. You can start from there. But go yeah, ahead. well, I, my, my take on it, and this gets back into, this actually hooks into the Gnostic, Gnostic take, or their, what, what becomes Gnosticism by the time of, of Hegel. And that is, so, so what Gnosticism, be, he, he suffers, use that word, from a form of, of, Gnos, of Gnosis, of Gnosticism, we'll go back to projection, as does Marx. All right, and and that form of narcissism is kind of like I have the answer, right? What it is, it's it's um. Right, I get. I've talked about this a lot in my writings. It's the idea that you can get to the real through thought, that you can get to the gnosis through thought, you know, instead of through revelation, mm -hmm. right? Through some sort of um, spiritual download, however you want to talk about it, right? So. So the um, someone needs to go outside. Go ahead, Jen. So what happens in the time of Hegel and the time of the Enlightenment, which was a recapitulation of rationalism, right? Both Marx, because you see Marx, and we talked about it before, Marx and Freire, they have this system, and there's no arguing against it, all right? Because they've sealed it, right? They think that that, is gnosis is that real knowledge it's 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 sounding like wisdom but it's knowledge without the download without the reality of it in other words it's only thought and they have made this room out of thought and only they can go in and out of it there's no critiquing of it and and so i think 
that is that is one of the greatest seductions. And in fact, even in the Bhagavad Gita, they talk about the possibility of being attached to knowledge, atta you know, attached to, to thinking. So, so what they've done is they have replaced thought with revelation. And they think, because so, so you have it. So there's no revelation. There's they've no replaced revelation with thought. I think that's what you- Exactly, mean. sorry, sorry. Right. So there, so there's, so there's, that, so I think that's the seductive part of it, you know, and it go and it, and it has the, uh, the other seductive part of course is, you know, here I am helping the poor peasants. Right. Well, that's okay. So that's the juice, right? When right. you identify with the oppressed, that's the juice. And I think that is the standard for the revelation. Right. And it's, and it's, um, you know, and, and of course it's, it's a crypto elitism. Right. Always. I you mean, know, if, when you really, yeah, yeah. When you really boil it down and wrap your head around Frieri, it's fucking heady. Like it's super, super heady, you know, now when they boil it down and bake it and create a model for people to use, it's not as heady. All you got to do is just identify, die to yourself and identify with the oppressed. And then all of your actions from that point forward are in support of the oppressed. But then you are never, ever, ever out of the purview of any kind of scrutiny. Like you will be scrutinized just to see how much you identify with the oppressed. Right. Mm -hmm. It's getting back to Chris's point of being shrewd and said, well, I identify with these people, you know, I, I feel their pain, you know, you'll be called on it <laughs> every now and then just to see how much you identify. And you're never finished. You always have to keep killing yourself and dying That's right. into this new, you're never, ever, ever done. Either are the institutions ever done. They have to keep, you know, well, re-examining and killing themselves And this. He talks about, um, Catholicism and Christianity being um, a nihilist, like death cult, necrophilic, necrophilic is the word he uses, uh, institutions, because of the Christ dying on the cross and, and believing in the resurrection and, and all of that, you know, at the mass, you have the transubstantiation of the host and drinking the blood of the Christ. So, but they're doing the exact same thing. They're taking that model. They've stolen it, as you said. It's a theft. They've stolen that model and then flipped it and made it into their own new religion. And uh, James Lindsay has a really good point. Just on those grounds alone, it should be expunged from this education system because mm -hmm. it is a religion. And you can't have a religion in the school system. So on that point alone, they should be expunged. Right, but they'll never, they'll never be able to prove that. Right. right. I mean, that would well, be. Can, he pretty well proved it. No, I think he proves it. But yeah, in order in order to get it, you know, if you're talking about getting it before a school board or getting it before uh, like a state assembly or something like that, half of those people have already been indoctrinated. Yes. Into the pedagogy of the press. Right. But yeah. it would be your one legal stand that you could make if if you were to make a stand in a legal system. I think that has some merit. 
Let me, let me ask you a question. I've never, I've never actually thought about this until now. Do you think that Frieri came up with this solely on his own? Well, he was reading Hegel. Right? He, he could have. He could have. You know. Or do you think that he was working with other people? Well, I mean, yeah. Again, we don't know like, about to formulate these ideas. Right. Well, he was already apparently working in Brazil with, with Kamara. Well, let's say a thing in itself does not exist. Everything exists in a context. Everything. Right. And so he didn't just blossom out as a new species. There were formative forces at play swirling around those these vortices that he was either caught up in and it caught his attention or whatever his personal experiences were and his personal relationships were that's all affecting his voice whether it's original thought it seems some of it but it's theft so it's not really original yeah and south america was was obviously much much more in those days and still probably you know the people were much more political yes. than in the united states and you know it's like every five years your government would flip between between marxist and you know uh, some some general you know some some right-wing general coming in and and authority you just flip in between one authoritarian government right. and the other you know so these people knew what was going on or at least the rhetoric you At know, least it's he was in the middle of everything. He was given the bully trumpet somehow, pulpit, excuse me. That his voice was the one that was the carrier wave. And he really does. And he just takes Marxism and just moves it into, into theology, you know, right. in, into, into the church. You know, so I mean, in the end, really, is there much original thought going on here? It's just very complicated and, and, and convoluted. But you know, is it original? Not really. He's just he's just applying Marxism, you know, to aspects of the church. It's a it's a it, but it's not just the church. It's also education, and it's also the public sector. Right. So what he has done is he's taken these ideas from Marx and probably Gramsci too, mm-hmm. because Gramsci is one of the fathers of cultural Marxism. Like yeah. he's the guy. That creates this idea that in order to change the system, you have to infiltrate every single crevice of the system, right. and not and not just get people who are theoretically part of the underclass to say right. we're over this, right? That's so true. you've got Marx, you've got Gramsci. I don't know what kind of influence Marcuse has at that time, but what he seems to do is create a comprehensive strategic model to use all of those ideas in a way where they are not necessarily oppositional ideas that are introduced, but they are ideas that are integrated into the actual structures themselves. And and I think that's where um, Freire kind of stands apart from these other people because he's right. figured right. yeah right. he's figured because out a way to bake it into everything right. without so people even practice. knowing they were getting it right so that's the praxis he, he 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 really brings in that focus on the praxis instead of maybe you know marcusa and all these people and they're a little you know who were in the, their 
academic, uh, you know, they get their tenure and, and, and they're all set. They don't have to worry about a friggin' thing, but it, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, but, you know, but, but he, but, but he, he really brings the praxis in where people like Marcuse just, you know, love to sit around and be adored by, you know, by his uh, surrounding students. But isn't right. it interesting how these things sometimes hang by a thread? So he was almost sidelined in the dustbin of history. He was, you know, pushed from pillar to post from one country, you know, Bolivia, what was it, Bolivia to Chile to, and then, oh, all of a sudden, Harvard picks him up. He was nothing. The, right. he, his ideas were rejected, rightfully so. And then Harvard picks him up. Right. So this, you kind of see that pattern happen in a lot of these instances where, you know, either someone is um, fighting against this system. There, there have been so many people who have spoken out against injustice and they're murdered. They're assassinated. They could have made a difference, but they're taken out of the equation. And kind of like a reverse of this, where he's put back in the equation. He was taken out of the equation, and then Harvard puts him back in. So oftentimes, these things, it seems to me, have nodal points or turning points where they're brought back into play. We almost dodged that bullet, but we didn't dodge the bullet because someone else wanted it to go and have its trajectory. That's, yeah. an, inter that's an interesting mark. point. That's a you very know, interesting here, point. Here's another interesting nodal point. Um, Valentinus, who is, uh, or Valentinus, Valentinus, but from whence we get St. Valentine, could have, almost was the first bishop of Rome. Right. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he was he was a Gnostic. Can you imagine the whole trajectory of the church if it began with a, with, with a Gnostic pope mm. or a Gnostic bishop as opposed, you know, to the, uh, the the whole, you know, Rome. yeah, Mark Mark Marks 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 would have been a would have been a, a hardcore Catholic or something. I'm not Catholic, but you know, hard a hardcore Essene oh, well, or some shit like that, well, right? And, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the whole Christic movement, you know, that impulse of the Christ, as Rudolf Steiner would word it, that impulse came in with Christ Jesus the Christ. But then there's that nodal point where the Roman Empire takes it over and it does a 360. Then right. ever since the Roman Empire got involved, then it became where, oh, yeah, so we can now, um, you know, we can impale Native Americans and we can disembowel them and we, because they're not even human. They're savages. So this is this Roman Empire kind of mentality that takes over the good. And this is what we're dealing with to this day. This is still the Roman Empire spinning out of control. This so, is not the Catholic Church is far from what it was oh, initially. I, yeah, you can't um, even recognize it. Right, right, um, absolutely. So, a couple things, and, and I and I think we can transition into the Biden thing because you brought up a good point about these, the, the chaos, the, the nodal points, the inversion and taking something, stealing. right? Taking something, stealing something, and then, and then inverting it and converting it. So just put that over here for now. Cause I, I think that's what happened last night in a lot of ways, mm. but there are two things. Number one, I want to just round off Steve, what you said about the Gnostic piece. 
and that in your mind, the difference between what James Lindsay is talking, by the way, James Lindsay is an atheist. He's not a Gnostic. He's not a Christian. So, but he knows enough about both to be able to speak fairly comprehensively. But, but in your view, Steve, the difference between what Lindsay is talking about, how the Gnosticism that's being used by Marx and then Freire is Gnosticism without revelation. Without mystic, yeah, I call it mysticism without mystical experience. Okay. You know, so it's, it's like, a, you know, I've got the answer, but the answer is only this aggregation of thoughts and this thought system that you have. Right? Okay. And, and the only reason you can't assail it is because you say I can't assail it. And I'm not going to respond to the questions, but the, you know, the, the Gnostic, if you, you know, if you read the Gnostic texts, it's about getting you to a certain revelation. Right and the and the revelation of the noose, or uh, as they called it, or of, of you know of the, of the divine of the theos, as they would put it in Greek. So yeah, so 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 so, so again, Mar Marxism and Freireism are antithetical to the individual gnosis. Right, you can only have a collective gnosis until then. You can you you're just heading towards it, and for them even. God is incomplete. You right. heard him say, right. you know, God is incomplete. You know, God gets, they think they're saying that Gnosticism is that God gets complete through us. Well, it's right. not freaking the divine if it's incomplete, you know, right. by, by definition. So we were, we were talking about that at breakfast and we, we came up with the idea or the, the image that we are appendages of God rather than, um, you know, we're not separate from God. We're appendages of God and God experiences through our senses. So it's not like God needs us, to de is dependent on us, that he's incomplete. No, his, he, we are still like extensions of that divine will. We're appendages of the divine. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the it's old- like you know, the humility occasion in, yeah. in the Bhagavad Gita or in, in Christianity, you would say, I'm an instrument of God's will. God, make me an instrument of your will, not my will, but thine. So there's different right. ways, different right. expressions of it in different traditions, yeah. but there's a recognition of it in any um, authentic tradition that has come out of revelation and not from the age of enlightenment, the age of reason, where you think you can get there through your mind. Yeah, it's the ancient so, imminence yeah. and transcendence, mm -hmm. right? So the, what, the one thing about Christianity in its most pure form that has always attracted me and spoken to me is that at the end of the day, you don't need to be an intellectual, no. right? You don't no. need to be an intellectual. It cuts no. through all the heavy intellectual baggage and that if you have a right relationship, again, wherever you fall in on the spectrum, everybody's got a different mm -hmm. belief or different take on this. Sure. But if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and you live your life through mm -hmm. that to mm -hmm. God, you don't need anything else. No, you don't. No mediators. You, no mediators. You, In fact, you don't even need scripture, to be honest with you. No, you don't. You need none of that. It is an anti-intellectual component to being able to be on this planet. 
And yeah, and I, I remember talking to Turkey in Turkey with someone and he, we were talking about Islam and he was kind of on the same page. He said, look, and, and Turkey would have like one of the mellowest forms of Islam that, you know, it's between me and God. That's what he says. That's what I love about Islam. It's, it's, it's the relationship between me and God and, and, and nothing else, you know, which is, which is, you know, as you say, the, the Christianity thing, you take up your cross, you know, it's your relationship between yourself and the Christic impulse and whatever revelation comes about and through look, that. What did Christ say to the masses? Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Innocence. Right. And that's yeah. what they want to kill. So that's where you, where you began talking about innocence. Right. Right. Okay. Um, why don't we 